lunch bag earlier, just in case the preacher gets hungry. So for this morning, the uh, message that we'll be looking at is a continuation from the last time we looked at the, uh, the message of the baptizer, uh, John the Baptist here, um, uh, the Gospel of John, the writer here, um, spends a good portion of time uh, looking at or expounding on uh, John the Baptist and, and his uh, purpose uh, in the ministry there with uh, Christ. One of the things that has impacted me in studying this is particularly how that um, John the Baptist clearly understood what he was to do. And we see that in verse 23, he says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as says prophet Isaiah. So John the Baptist was clear in his mission. He understood what he was to do. He was to make straight the way of the Lord. And he preached the message there to the people. And um, then we transition into the uh, text that uh, Matt read for us here this morning. And we see twice he refers to this phrase. In verse 29, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And then again, two of his own disciples were standing there, and he looked at them, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, in verse 36. So, John, I was just tremendously inspired as I looked at this text and and just see the passion that John had to uh, make straight the way of the Lord. And then when he came, he said, here he is. Here he is. Behold, look at him. I think that that word, uh, we don't really use that phrase today much. Like if we see something, we don't say, behold, Dave Lapp. Like we don't say that. Or behold, there's this. We might say something, hey, pay attention. There is somebody, right? But we don't usually say, behold. But that's what this phrase means. It means to pay close attention to or look, watch, pay attention. And that's what John the Baptist said. Jesus came. He said, behold, the Lamb of God. So this morning's message I've entitled, Mission True. Mission True. Last time we looked at the message of the baptizer, and this time uh, I see John the Baptist being mission true all the way through to the end. I've split the message into two parts. The first part is mission drift, and then we'll look at the, uh, the concept of remaining mission true. What is mission? When you think about mission, what comes to your mind? Mission field, missionaries, yeah. A goal or purpose, a project. Goal or purpose, a project. Yeah. And mission, go ahead. An assignment. An assignment. That's getting closer, very close there. So our, a mission is an assignment. Really, that's what it is. And uh, our assignment is to go and tell the world, right? Preach the good news the gospel of the kingdom. 
And so when we think about mission and our missions, that's what our mission ultimately is about, is to go and spread the good news of the kingdom. It is an important assignment, and a Christian's mission is to spread its faith. As I looked at this subject, and especially in, the, in, the, in light of mission drift, how is it then that so many people, or, or not so many, maybe I shouldn't phrase it that way, how is it that we see in some situations, or some uh, occurrences in a mission, where there is zeal, there is passion, and it's right on. And before long, you see this thing starts to fizzle out. And there is what's called drift that occurs. Why is it that that happens? And I want to look at a little bit of that here this morning. Someone once said, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. So if we're not clear on what our mission is, we will almost certainly miss it every time. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. Mission drift is usually an unintended drift. And in most situations, we don't wake up one day and say, today I'm going to drift. We're looking at this from the aspect, multiple aspects, especially on a personal spiritual level. Um, I, I've been a Christian long enough to know and have seen some things where some people started out and you would have thought they're starting really well. They had a good foundation, and they were taught the ways of Christ. And before long, you start to wonder what happened. What happened? See, we usually don't wake up and say, today, I'm not going to do quite as much mission work, and I'm going to become a little more like the world. Or usually, most of us at least, we wouldn't say, you know, today I'm going to become a little less like Jesus. Or, you know, I really don't care about those lost people anymore. Today, I'm going to care less about them. Or, you know, today I'm going to hate a little more and love a little less. We usually don't wake up and say, I'm purposing to do this today. I'm going to become a little less like Jesus, or I'm, I'm going to love a little less. Rather, I think it is a result of the shifting sand or the moving water we are surrounded by in society. If you are a Christian, then we can know for certain that we are in the currents of society. And mission drift is usually unchosen and unreflective assimilation. Mission drift is unchosen and unreflective assimilation. It's usually not something we plan to do. Cultural currents become swift, and the society we live in, we, we, we cannot avoid the society that we are living in and the culture that we are a part of. But we should be careful to not passively drift 
with the currents and the shifting sands of society. Consider this mission statement from a well-known university not too far from here. Here was their founding, founding um, visionaries that established this university. Here is what their mission statement said. To be plainly instructed and consider well that the end of your life and study is to know God and Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. To be plainly instructed and consider well that the end of your life and study is to know God and Jesus Christ. Could almost say that is from faith builders or something like that, right? This university started out with a mission to train pastors on how to share the gospel and to equip them in the teaching and sharing the good news of Christ. This mission statement is from a prestige university founded in 1635. This university still today has a reputation and it has a reputation for good quality education, but they drifted far from their original founding mission, Harvard University. The most prestige college in many ways on the eastern part of the country. In the sense of a secular education, if you wanted to get a really good secular education, you could go to Harvard and you would be served well. But they don't resemble anything like what their original founding visionaries had in mind for the college. The original motto for, of our nation's oldest, Harvard University, adopted in 1692 was, um, it's a Greek um, phrase here, but I'm sorry, Latin phrase, but what is translated means truth for Christ and the church. Truth for Christ and the church. Now, I don't know what you all think about when you think about Harvard University today. I don't think about anything about godliness in my mind. I might think about uh, 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 if you were an attorney or something like that and you wanted to get a good education in law, maybe you would go to Harvard. Um, but certainly if you're a pastor and, and you would want to go somewhere for pastor training or encouragement spiritually, you would not go to Harvard. And yet, that is what their founding mission was. Only 80 years after its founding, Harvard's identity began to shift. And there was a group of New England pastors that were on staff there that noticed that the shift was beginning to happen. And they were concerned with the secularization of the university, and hence they founded a new Christian higher education in 1701. There was a wealthy businessman who financed their efforts and they named the college after his last name, Yale University. These founding visionary pastors decided that they would not be uh, caught up in the currents of Harvard University's drift. And they said, 
Our mission is not only going to be to teach people about Christ in the church, but we're going to get serious about application to truth. Hence, they named their mission was this. The light of Christian morals and the ability through a Yale education to understand absolute truth. And there again, there's a Latin phrase, I'm not even going to try and pronounce this, but that was the crux of their mission. The light of Christian morals and the ability through a Yale education to understand their absolute truth for Christ and the church. Not only were they going to be for Christ and the church, but they were going to put truth in there too. They were going to represent truth and stay on course. That was the, that was the drive behind these uh, visionary pastors that said, you know, yet Harvard is shifting, and we cannot be a part of that. We need to start something that remains mission true. Do you think about going somewhere? If you think about Yale and Harvard today, do you think about going there as a pastor for pastor training or to go and grow in your spiritual life? Not even close. These, 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 the, the board representatives there and the leaders of those colleges today celebrate their godlessness. They, they readily admit that no, we are not anything what our, uh, what our forefathers had envisioned we would be, and they celebrate that. They say that's okay. That we don't, we don't, we didn't want to be that. And yet, those who started the, the, the universities all the way back had a clear vision, a clear mission on where they wanted to go. What happened? What happened? Somewhere in the leadership, there was a shift. And the shift brought about significant change over 350 years. Today, they would celebrate that they are Welcome everybody in. How do you get there? <clears throat> we talked about mission a little bit and how it is an important assignment. Mission drift unfolds slowly. It's like a current, it's like a current it carries organizations and individuals from their core purpose and identity. And it, it can happen to really any of us. And I had to think, you know, as I get really honest with myself, I look back when I was first converted, um, God's word became living, alive. And I remember I couldn't get enough of this. And we would readily participate in Bible study, and we, we just wanted to be a part of this. this. And, um, you know, yeah, as I look back over the last 14, 15 years, there was, there was times when my hunger left off. And I had to intentionally say, you know, I'm going to stay course. I'm going to stay the course. And um, it's, it's, it's kind of like this. You know, you go into the Susquehanna River, it's foolishness to think that you're not going to drift. It's going to take intentional effort 
once you place yourself in there, it's going to take intentional effort to, to not drift. Going into the Susquehanna River is guaranteed you're, not, you're going to drift if you don't do something. I believe so it is with the Christian life. We will drift. Drift will happen unless we curb it. <clears throat> I'm not... <laughs> I, I'm probably more in my heart this morning is more... Um, maybe not so much materialistically as it is what's, what's happening within in our spiritual condition. And you know, this preacher, this preacher needs this. <clears throat> what is happening in my spiritual condition? Am I drifting? Am I drifting further away? Or am I getting closer to Christ? I don't think it's a neutral thing. I believe Brother Paul had preached a message here a number of years ago, and he had talked about this idea of drift and how it is so easy to drift. But we must be intentional in curbing that drift because it is as if you are in a river, the current is moving, you have to do something or you will drift. <clears throat> it's also, it could be explained kind of like death by minnows. You know, you might think you put your foot in the water where there's a bunch of minnows, blood-sucking minnows. You think, wow, what's the big deal? Well, if you had the same tank and you put your foot in and there's a shark in, you would be quite afraid of that because you say, well, that thing could take a gulp out of my foot. But, you know, these minnows can nibble away a little bit at a time without you hardly even noticing something's happening. And then an infection settles in, and soon you have something that spreads throughout your body, and it's death by minutes in that way. And in some ways, I think we should be more afraid or more pay closer attention to the idea of the little nibbles that are happening in our lives rather than the big gulps that happen all at once. Because it usually doesn't happen in one big gulp. And so, let's get back to John the Baptist here. The mission of John the Baptist, and he was mission true. Then the opposite of mission drift then is to remain mission true and so while we can look at examples of people drifting and I can see easily in my own life how I might drift in that way but there is many examples of people who remain faithful and true all the way through to the end and John the Baptist is one of those and I believe he was he remained true in part because he clearly understood his purpose. He proclaimed, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. In verse 36, um, two of his own disciples here, this is a, a tremendous picture of unselfishness on part of John. In 36, uh, 35, and again the next day after John stood, and two of his disciples. So these were two of John's disciples. They're standing there and John says, looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And, um, the, and the two disciples that heard him speak, it says they followed Jesus. So John was very unselfish in that he was pointing to Jesus. He said, that is the Messiah. And two of his own disciples left him right there and started following Jesus. Doesn't seem like it fazed John at all. He said, that's the man you want to follow right there. Behold the Lamb of God. 
And I believe this is in, instructive for us maybe as we um, consider our discipleship efforts, endeavors. I believe discipleship is an important concept for Christians today, but we should always very intentional pointing them to Christ. John's purpose never was to gain a following, but rather to point people to Christ. To stay mission true or assignment true, I believe it is imperative that we give diligence to make our calling and election sure. And we want to look at, I have a prop here I want to put up. Um, I have a little bag of candy here. And I need somebody in the age bracket of about 8 to 10. I need a volunteer. Somewhere between the age of 8 to 10. I need a volunteer. It's not going to be anything. You won't need to do anything up here. I just need a volunteer from somebody 8 to 10. All right, Josiah, you can come up. Now, I'm going to give Josiah a mission with this. And um, here's a few things you need to do with this, Josiah. Okay, you're supposed to just, just hold this, okay? And now, you can't take any pieces out of there, all right? No pieces are for you. And um, I want you to hold that until after church, okay? Just put it on the seat beside you. It has chocolate, so you don't want to get too warm. But just hold it, and then after church, you're going to go and give it to Matt, Matt and Jewel. Okay? And then if he says you can have a piece, you can have a piece there. But no eating the candy during church. Okay? So you take it back to your seat and just be a guardian of that candy till after church. And make sure you give it to Matt after church so that the other little children can maybe all have a piece. Now, I, Josiah has a mission. I gave him a mission. I gave him a, a, a task to complete. His task is rather simple. Be a guardian of the candy, not eat any candy, not give anybody to anybody else, and to deliver the candy to Matt afterwards. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2, we're going to be reading several verses here and making some comments. Second Peter chapter two, Second Peter one verse two. I'm sorry. I'm going to read some passages here, and we'll look at some uh, concepts coming through here in regarding to, to remaining mission true. Now, any time we're given a, miss, a mission, there is always the possibility of deviating from the mission, right? So we're, we're given something to do. We're given a task to accomplish, and very possible for us to take that and deviate from the mission. Let's see what Peter has to say here. Verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
Verse 3, according to his divine power has given us unto us all things pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Here's a key verse for us. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you... That make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make, to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fail." Here we see Peter's passion coming through that we make our, uh, give diligence to make your calling and your election sure. And, and growth through knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in those verses there. I have just several, maybe some practical ways that we could um, think about here as we look at avoiding drift in our own personal lives. As I think about the reality of us drifting and of myself drifting, what do we need to do to stay on course? What are some things, maybe some practical things that we could look at to stay on course? Number one, I believe, is that we read and study the Word of God. We make that a part of our daily diet of worship with God. Daily meditate on His precepts. Read and study the Word of God. And maybe some practical ways of doing that is uh, be a part of a Bible study group of like-minded Christians. Um, I think that can have tremendous impact on, in our personal uh, spiritual life. We have been a part of a group, maybe not getting together quite as often as we were at one time, for a number of years now, and... We thoroughly enjoy our time together in studying God's Word. And uh, I think there's some older men here who might have been a part of a group that was together for a long time. How long was it, Rachel? 40 years? 30 years? These that were gathering together to study God's Word for a long period. Of, and things like that can, have a can be a tremendous blessing in avoiding drift. <clears throat> The other thing I have here is staying connected to the, body of, to the body of Christ. Stay connected to the body of Christ. Wisdom lies in anchoring ourselves to the church as the church is anchored to Christ. Wisdom lies in anchoring ourselves to the church in the same way that the church is anchored to Christ. Across time and culture and trends, the church remains. Think about that. Across time, culture, 
and trends, the church remains. It has remained since, since its conception, it has remained. And it will remain until Christ's return. We know that for sure. So, wisdom lies in anchoring ourselves to the church as the church is anchored to Christ. And maybe a few things on trends. Uh, recently, we had Jonas Souter come to the uh, THMH uh, PTF, and I was really impacted by some of his comments regarding uh, trends and how they come and, and go. Uh, he mentioned that, you know, there was a time when round glasses were, were trendy, and then it goes from square, then it goes to another type of glass, and, that, you know, and then sometimes they get big and they get small and they just all over the place. It's a trend. It just comes and goes. Um, floor sweeper dresses for a while, then short, then there'll be floor sweeper again, then short, then floor sweeper. It's just, it's trends. Uh, baggy pants, baggy clothes, big shirts, big pants, then tight pants, tight shirts, then loose pants, loose shirts again. It's trends. It's, they come and go. Guess what? The church remains. It remains. And you know, he mentioned to us, he said, interesting observation on his part. He's an older man. I'm guessing he's in his 70s. And he said, you know, he's been around long enough now to see those trends come and go several times. So he was in style several times over the last number of years. But in spite of all of those shiftings and trends that come and go, um, the church remains, and it will remain uh, over through those trends, those cultural trends. And um, when the trends tend to go in, in places that's, you know, maybe not best for spiritual growth, the church remains as an anchor. <clears throat> the path to, per to personal spiritual drift is made straight when we disconnect from the local church body. Another thing that I think is a very real possibility for Christians is that we can very easily become disillusioned with the brotherhood. And I, I've, I think I've seen a few of these things happen over the years where people have become disillusioned because they'll take offense from a brother or a sister in the church. And they become disillusioned with the church. And hence it results in spiritual drift in their personal life. To become disillusioned with something means that somebody stops believing that something is good. When we become disillusioned, we are, that means that we are stopping, we quit believing that something is good. And the church, the body of Christ, is a good thing. It's made up of people that sometimes do some things that could potentially hurt us but never stop believing that the church is a good thing. Let's turn um, 
in First uh, John chapter three. I'll look at a few passages there. First John chapter three. We'll start reading in verse eleven and go through till verse eighteen. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Then he goes on, he gives us what, what this should not look like. And it says, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. So he's saying, you should not, would not be like Cain. But he goes on, he says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. So he said, one true test to know if you have passed from life to death or have had a true conversion is if you love the brethren. All of the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And he's, again, he's, he's tying this into Cain. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, see, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And then we have the test of belief. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. What does it mean to love in deed and in truth? He says we're not, we're not supposed to love in word, or not only, I think, in word, in what we say, but in what we do and how we live, I think is what he's saying. In, in deed, how we live, and in truth. <clears throat> Verse 7 of chapter 4 as well. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And um, it goes on in verse 10 there, he says, Herein is love, not that we love God, but he loved us, and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. And then he goes on there, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This was actually a command by Christ in the, uh, in the uh, high priestly prayer in John chapter... John 15 he goes he tells his disciples here this is my commandment that you love one another as in the same way that I have loved you and ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I have commanded you these things I command you that you love one another so it is a command from Christ that we love one another as, as brothers and sisters we love one another. And Jesus was a perfect example of this. As he came on the Mount of Olives there, he looked down into Jerusalem and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. You were the ones who were killing the prophets, but in spite of what you did and how you, are, how you were, 
I would have gathered you under my wings for protection. You see the compassion coming through. And he's saying the same way that Christ loved us, we should love each other. It is, I believe, a commandment. Well, we're running out of time here. I believe another very practical way for us to remain mission true is to stay involved in spreading the gospel. Things like Coatesville, tremendous, tremendous blessing in spiritual growth, I believe, to stay involved in spreading the gospel. Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And from the time of creation until he comes back again, I believe we, could, we should stay very involved in the spreading of the gospel. Why are you here? Look for every opportunity to spread the gospel, the good news of the gospel. Tell people that Jesus is coming back again. Tell them that there is a time coming when all sorrow and tears will be wiped away. No more pain, no more death, no more suffering. The Christian has a bright future. Of all people groups, of all religions, the Christians is one of tremendous, tremendous hope. Let us stay mission true in spreading the gospel. I believe it has its, it has its benefit in our impersonal spiritual life. <clears throat> we too have a mission as Christians. We too, as John the Baptist did, should be voices crying in the wilderness of the society around us by the way we live and by asking people to turn and come into the kingdom of God. Let's kneel together and pray.